of your eye, huddled in the darkest shadows of imagination, it waits. Now is the time to face the fear. Welcome to Horror Lasagna. Embrace the trepidation. Ready to get rocking and rolling on the like season one bonus episode. The, the bonus US episode remix. everyone was clamoring for. Yeah, I know. There, there was so much noise to, <laughs> hey, you guys better do this. And then I yeah. woke up uh, from my dream. <laughs> <laughs> I left Freddie behind. Yeah. And, and um, so, the, I, I mean, for us, the reason we wanted to do this, we talked in several of the episodes that, you know, there's a U.S. remake of this. There's a U.S. remake of this. And in general, we said, yeah, we don't care for those as much. They're, you know, you see this original one and grasp the significance of it and what they're trying to do. The, the U.S. remake seems a little tame and lame. Um, but then we said, well, you know what? Why don't we do an episode and talk about that? Instead of separate, we'll just do one and do little bits of discussion. So. Yeah, there's... Um there's three i don't want to say there's only three but as a guy who's looked at a lot of different films from a bunch of different countries and like picked up on trends there's some trends in american films that you see um and you'll see it a lot in the ones we're going to talk about today um so one of the things they do in american films um is they have to have some sort of punchy action thing that happens in the first five minutes (laughs) and you're going to see all these american remakes have that same kind of thing i I laugh because that's like touted over and over and over to authors nowadays that your book and i I listened to a guy read the first couple chapters of a horror novel he was working on and this one guy like ripped them apart that it wasn't until chapter four that we found out that the person we'd been viewing was really a ghost and uh, and he's like you need to put that like the very first thing and i'm like no because if you did that it would ruin any build-up and suspense and nobody would care that he's a ghost uh, you know horror is not a thriller but there's this like th- rule of thumb er, you know the first sentence should capture them the first two paragraphs yep. should give you your whole conflict and what's coming up and, and I, I don't subscribe to that personally I don't either, um, but it is this whole thing <clears throat> trying to be as efficient and encapsulating as possible. You know, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to like snare people and just keep them on this high adrenaline roller coaster through the whole thing, and that's not really necessary. Sometimes break is good. Yeah, and and personally, and I'm not saying everybody succeeds at this, and I'm not saying it's what has to be done every time, but you don't have to give the conflict the hook in the first couple minutes like the battery well you mentioned it told us everything we needed to know about the world it during the credits no talking right it didn't really show the world collapsing it didn't show them running from zombies or any of that uh but you saw oh look we're panned out there's two guys you see nobody else you know so you, you start understanding it so i think there's more intelligent ways than just being for dumb americans and i, I joke about that saying it at times but after watching this first season it's like, wow, we really do have dumb movies where they explain things like you're a three-year-old. Yep. Um, another thing that we do in American films is we always make everything beautiful. So um, <laughs> all of I, – I can't even think – I have so many movies on my list where I'm like, so this scientist who's being haunted by a ghost that studies animal waste is far too attractive and clean – to actually be that person. And they do that all the time. And you're going to see that again with these uh, American remakes that we have. Yeah. And the first one we're going to talk about is martyrs. My very first comment is it doesn't start off as horrific, even though it's the same open. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's a, you're right. A common theme. Yep. And um, one of the third things that we love to do in American films is we over explain things. Yes. Um, to and so much. 
yes. So there, there'll be a scene. Um, it, you know, actually, I think it might just be better off if I just point them out as we get to them. That's a good idea. Good point. Yeah. So, so, all right, so our first one is Martyrs. Martyrs. Yes. Uh, this is a U.S. Uh, release remake from 2016. It was directed by Kevin and Michael Getz. Um, and if you're wondering what you've seen that they've done, there's probably not much. Um, they did some Puddle of Mud videos. Oh, um, nice. If you remember the band. Yeah. Um, and they did a movie called Scenic Route, um, which I might have seen. It's a slasher road movie. <laughs> Honestly, if you had told me I, I saw a movie called Scenic Route, I would have said, oh, is that a slasher movie? <laughs> that really yeah. does sound like one to me. That's great. Yeah. They, they also had another movie called A Violent Separation. And that's it. That's their whole CV. And that's right a love there. story, right? <laughs> I don't know, because I've never seen that one. Uh, okay. Um. The people who star in it, uh, you have Troyan Belisario, who plays Lucy, and she's been in uh, Pretty Little Liars, uh, a couple episodes of JAG, NCIS, uh, Suits, um, and Quantum Leap. Ironically enough, she was in an Is episode of Quantum Leap. like the granddaughter or daughter or something of uh, Donald Belisario, great TV writer? I don't know if she is. She did not put that on her, on her resume. Oh, okay. I mean, she might be related in some way. Yeah. Uh, Bailey Noble plays Anna. And again, she has a, a list of things she, she was in, and a lot of them are True Blood, Law and Order, True Crime, Criminal Minds, um, you know, these little guest spots as victim or or criminal in these right. police yeah, procedures. So those are good resumes, though. Yeah. Um. Kale Burton plays Eleanor. And in this movie, Eleanor is um, what they call Mademoiselle. Um, so they actually give her a name. She's already more humanized just going through the cast list. They want to call was back to the... to the original and give her a French title. <laughs> yes, right. Uh, but she was like the big money She's the big money star of this film um, because she's been in Grey's Anatomy, Charmed, Supergirl, Homeland, uh, Mr. Mercedes, This Is Us, Veep, The Good Wife, Criminal Minds, Law and Order. Again, really not a big movie star, but she's been in all kinds of television productions, judging Amy, West Wing, The First Wives Club, Spencer for Hire, ABC After School Specials. Uh, she was in Big Trouble in Little China, but that was anything. So, okay, uh, slight glitch, my fault. Uh, we were talking about Martyrs. You were talking about the two girls and Mademoiselle. Yes, yes, yes. Ooh, and this movie is called Eleanor. Um, this movie actually did have an award nomination. Um, the daughter of the family was nominated for her role in the film. All three seconds of it. Yes. Okay. That's the only nominated. She didn't even win, but she was nominated for it. Uh, the movie was shot in 20 days. Um, and the directors are so stressing. This is not a remake. It's a reimagining. In other words, uh, we're using that as our excuse that we screwed up the story. Yes. Um, it had an estimated million dollar budget and its box office intake was $397,000. Which is close to what, what the other one make. I don't remember. Uh, yeah, I don't have those notes yeah, with me. It's no, no big deal. It's in the episode. Go listen to the episode if you want. There you <laughs> go. That's right. Uh, Daniel Stam, who did The Last Exorcism, a movie I enjoyed. Again, I mentioned this in the first one. He was supposed to direct, but he didn't want to plateau at that million-dollar budget level, so he bailed. Um, and... The movie is really, it feels like a made-for-television version of the original. There's no grit to it. <laughs> um, the main characters are like, they're like models. Their makeup is done as they're running around through this. Yeah. And and, and we were talking about um, having to tell explain everything and they, they do that the like the, the first scene that i 
what was like what was uh, Lucy in bed uh, when that creature was there and jumps at her. Yeah, it's a jump scare, um, but they show it and it's a lengthened little bit. And I was like, wow, that totally took away any feelings for it. Yeah. Before I was like, oh, what the heck was that? This time I'm like, oh, look, it's, it's, it's they made a look, lot of, it's yeah. a monster. Right. Ooh. <laughs> they made a lot of decisions <laughs> like that where they, I said, okay, so at the beginning, when she escapes, she looks like maybe she'd been playing in the dirt, and and that's her, it. Her probably. dress is fine. She's yeah. got hair. Yeah. So you know, they didn't want to shave the kid's head because that was a step too far. Because that kids kid, don't grow their hair back that fast. Right. And for a check the size you're going to give her, I'm sure she's going to be fine if you take her hair off. I would have said, go ahead, go for it. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was the visuals of the whole thing just were not right because everybody was a model. They were right out of a Sears catalog. They didn't look. I I don't want to say that the original actresses who played Lucy and Anna were not attractive because they were, but in a more realistic fashion, they had obviously they had eaten something that day. You know what I mean? As opposed to you know we have catwalk models running around, you know, and that's just the visuals. Uh, yeah. Um, because in the end of the movie, technically Lucy's still alive. Uh, they, t- I, I, I questioned whether they watched the first movie and understood what was being <laughs> said because about halfway through they, go off the rails and change the story. Like, Oh, we're going to do something different, but it then makes like no sense. It doesn't mean anything. And it's just kind of like, who cares anymore? I mean, uh, Anna's escaping through the, 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 uh, sewage tunnel. Yeah. To get away. It's just, they were trying to barrier. And I, again, the whole point of what they were trying to accomplish by making martyrs was lost. It's yeah. now uh, an American slasher movie. Yes. <laughs> the the uh, hideous monster that um, Anna finds when she goes down into the oubliette is replaced by a little girl. And you're just like, what? And then the little girl doesn't die. She gets away to go get help. Yeah. And, and, and none of them seem that traumatized. Even Lucy did not seem as traumatized in this one. Uh, yeah. They seem like... Uh, they had an issue, yes, but not that traumatized. So I'm like, how the hell are you going to create a martyr by the little bit you're doing? Yeah. And, and then, I'm not endorsing that again. That's where you get sticky right. with the talk. Here. Oh, yeah. But it, you, looking at it from the perspective of what they are trying to accomplish and what draws you into the movie, it, it's lost. And in an American film, since it has something to do with religion, of course, there has to be someone in a priest outfit. <laughs> carrying but, a little bag under a street light. <laughs> like the guy there at her torturing is going to show up with the white collar and everything. I'm pretty sure he doesn't want the church associated with what's going on here. Yeah. But, yeah. I agree. It, it was not, it, it, it was not good. And one of the things that struck me recently as I thought about the original is there's this whole thing where Lucy did not ascend. But Anna did, and I think it, and I think like part of the message, and I might be completely in left field here, but part of the message seemed like they took Lucy at a young age and she's known nothing but pain and regrets. And so she's not in the mind frame to ascend, but Anna has been, has loved Lucy unconditionally all these years. And that's the kind of person who will actually achieve the Godhead. And then in this one, eh, Anna's never even really going to get there. And Lucy actually does ascend at the end. And they're both still alive as the police are pulling in. And I'm just like, it was not a good film. No, it, again, they missed the point of the first one. And, yes. And it, it, for those that have watched it and got to this bonus episode, if you've watched that and understood what we were saying, not saying you agree with it, endorse it, or, oh my gosh, I'm going to watch this again tomorrow thing. But the point of what they were making and what they were trying to achieve was lost. Yes. Just gone. 
Absolutely. So it's not recommended for anybody. This movie. No, no. And I was disappointed with that. Yes. So let's shift gears to one that's actually better. Yeah. Uh, Let me in. Let me in. Let Me In it was a US-UK collaboration released in 2010, three years after the original of Let the Right One In. Uh, it was directed by Matt Reeves, um, who's known for um, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Oh, uh, nice. He also was the director of Cloverfield um, and Felicity, the TV show. Oh, that's a couple good ones there. Yeah, he's a real, real good friend of J.J. Abrams. Hmm. And he actually started his career working with Spielberg. Okay. Wow. Not, not doing movie stuff so much as like cataloging his shit that he kept in his garage. But it's but, still better than our resume. A hundred and ten percent, yes. <laughs> and um, dear God, if you were said, "Hey, Spielberg wants you to go into his garage and catalog what he's got there," yes, please. I will <laughs> and do I that. get coffee and donuts. Sure, I'm, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um. So the cast in this one is going to be people. Uh, the list you're going to know. You might not know the names, but you'll know their movies. Like uh, Cody Smith McPhee plays Owen, which is what they name the male child in this one. Um, he was. Owen's oh, a really ex- weird name. Why would you use that? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird one, huh? <laughs> um, he was in X Men: Dark Phoenix and X Men: Apocalypse and Deadpool Two. He is the guy behind the blue makeup. He is Nightcrawler. Oh, okay. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. He was also in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, directed by the guy who directed this. So he must have liked him. Yeah. He was in a 2013 production of Romeo and Juliet, um, Paranorman. Uh, he was the kid in The Road. I see that. I, yep. Because we had talked about uh, that movie. And he was also in Nightmare and Dreamscapes for Stephen King fans out there. I've never seen the production of Nightmare and Dreamscapes, but he was in it. Yeah, okay. Um, the vampire in this case uh, is named Abby and she's played by Chloe Grace Moretz, who I'm a big fan of, but wait till you hear her resume. Okay. She was in Suspiria, a remake of an Italian Gallo film from 1977. Both of which are pretty acclaimed. Yes. She was in the remake of Carrie, a Stephen King horror movie from 1977. She was in the remake of The Eye, an American remake of Gui which is a Korean uh, horror movie. Uh, she was in the Amityville Horror remake. remake. <laughs> this is good. There was a uh, movie called The Equalizer, which was a remake based off of a television show from the 80s. Um, she was also in Muppets Most Wanted. She was in Kick-Ass 1 and 2, which I enjoyed tremendously. Uh, she did voiceover in Dishonored, the video game. Oh, okay. Which uh, I enjoyed the Dishonored series very much. Um, and she also had a part in Bolt. Huh. Well, you know, if she went to conventions and billed herself as the remake queen, uh, she's probably got a good convention career. <laughs> it was insane when I started looking at it. I'm like, oh my gosh, like every horror movie remake she has been in. Including this one. Including this one. Uh, Richard Jenkins plays her dad. Not her dad. He plays her servant. Yeah. The dad figure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He was in The Shape of Water and Kong Island. He was in Bone Tomahawk, which is actually shortlisted for one of the movies uh, for one of our seasons. Oh, good. Yeah, that's that's been on my list to watch, actually. Uh, He was in Jack Reacher, um, Cabin in the Woods. Uh, Eat, Pray, Love, Burn After Reading. He was on Miami Vice um, and The Witches of Eastwick. If you need that kind of buttoned up uh, scientist looking guy, he's your man. (laughs) Uh, The movie is set in Los Alamos in the 80s. So not quite the northern parts of Norway, but still apparently it snows in Los Alamos. Um, Alfredson, who directed the first one, he was offered the job as director for this one, but he reviewed, but he refused because he believes that only bad movies should be remade. And he knew his movie wasn't bad. And, you know, I agree with him. I, um, yeah. Linkvest, however, who wrote, let the right one in is like, keep those checks coming, make another version. I'm cool with it. 
do what you want. Um, Matt Reeves claimed that it was meant to bring the story to a wider audience. Uh, it premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival in 2010. Uh, and he greatly admired the original, but and this is the part that drives me nuts. He said, to be honest with you, that picture grossed $2 million. And it's like, you can't judge a movie based on how much money it makes. I go look at the critic reviews versus public reviews up on uh, tomato. Uh, you know, it, they're vastly different in cases. Yes. It, saying that the movie only grossed $2 million does not make it a failure. That's it a just bit of make, an elitist comment there. Yes, it is. <laughs> His movie, on the other hand, had a $20 million budget, and it grossed $27 million worldwide, compared to the $4 million budget of the first movie and the $11 million that they grossed worldwide. Let's do the math there. Hello. They made the same amount of money, basically. <laughs> yeah. It's just a matter of scale. Uh, the movie starts out in a very American way. Uh, instead of starting, the original Let the Right One In starts with the dark. It has some snowflakes. Um, and then it has the boy. His name's Oscar, right? Yeah, Oscar. And he's like doing the knife thing and playing around. And then and strange- you hear voices drift in. Yeah. You know, it's, it's very. And then yeah. strangers show up. The American one starts with sirens <laughs> screaming and it jumps right to the thing where the servant ends up throwing himself out the window. Which is exactly what we were talking about before. First five minutes, there's got to be something. Got to be a hook. Right. And that's and that's like the American thing. You got to hook them. You got to get them in. But knowing this movie, I'm watching it. And honestly, I thought I was watching the wrong movie. Because they're, they're, I'm like, what the heck is going on? You know, and then they're talking about a criminal and stuff. Am I watching a cop movie or something? I'm like, did I get the wrong one? Did they label it wrong? And, you know, I'm trying to figure it out. And I, okay, I'll just skip around. No, that looks like the boy. And, you know, and, and I was like, really? That is the scene they chose that's hooking me into the yeah. movie? Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's really interesting. There's There's things that he did that, we're straight, you know, lifts yeah. from the movie. Well, I mean, there were some scenes you could overlay and you'd probably see it, you know, barely a ghost impression or anything. Yeah. Uh, the word vampire was only used once in this movie, just like in the original. The, uh, the cool thing that um, Alfredson had done with putting a splash of red in every scene uh yeah <laughs> i looked for the same thing i'm like too much work for reeves to do that <laughs> I guess. but that's what makes it better supposedly yeah uh the the servants uh when he first goes out to hunt someone down he wraps his face in a, a trash bag that idea actually was the actors the actor was like, well, if this guy's been doing this for a long time, he's not going to want people to recognize his face. So what could he do that's, you know, easy and cheap? And and so there, I th- thought that was interesting. There, there were a couple little spots where I said, oh, it's a minor little thing. But some of the stuff we discussed from the first one, when they did it, I felt, oh, that does make it much clearer in this one than the other one. The other one, you had to work a little bit to get some of those themes out and understand, like you said, she's grooming him. And I'm like, Oh yes, I see that. And I, it didn't click in me before, but there's a couple scenes here where it's extremely obvious. Um, yeah. Again, Americans, you got to hit us over the head sometimes. Right. Um, but I thought they did too many of those and it, I didn't think it made the movie better so much as easier. <laughs> yeah. Owen doesn't really have any relationship with his father in this movie. No, it's a phone call. I think that's like the only thing you ever get. Right. And he seems to have a good relationship with his mom. He doesn't have those kind of slightly edgy sociopathic tendencies like Oscar with the knife. and At all. Right. I, I didn't know he was bullied and then his reaction to it sometimes seems over the top. But it's like, well, he has to be that way because that's how the original was. 
but I never got that feeling of him being like so depressed and bullied. Yeah, if anything, they painted him as a voyeur. He liked to watch stuff. <laughs> Very much right? so. Yeah, it wasn't just – it was that telescope everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's a very different character, and I, I have a harder time believing that Owen would be willing to throw his life away to travel the world with his vampire, as opposed to Oscar, who I really got. You know, yeah. when that, when that happened, I'm like, oh, yeah, I get it. Right. And – the one theme we discussed a little bit, the LGBTQ theme, because uh, you got vampires, you got uh, the dad, uh, where you know he his maybe lover and he mm-hmm. ignored his son and stuff. It was really missing in this one completely. Yep. There, there wasn't any of it at yeah, all. Yeah, there was no no gender anything happening here. Uh, the slaughter at the pool at the end, I I found it a. They showed way more. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> that seems for an American good. film, that just doesn't sound right. Today's remake theme is showing more. It's like, <laughs> and, a, it's like a Sesame Street episode. <laughs> Look, near, far. Yeah, yeah. Gore, not. And, and then they kill everybody. I thought it was incredibly poignant in the original that there is one kid who chose not to participate who sat on the sidelines and had to watch this happen yeah. and could tell the story as opposed to in the American pool room, everyone's dead. So, you know, the police are going to come up and go, what the hell happened here? Yeah. And yeah. the way they did it too, because Oscar's there and the one boy gets drugged through the water, but it's like, you see him and he's screaming. And I'm like, well, that's because we're showing this to an American audience. You have to yeah. do that. Yeah. And here comes a head. It's just yeah. going to float down past you. Wow. Uh, The other thing that I found kind of striking and kind of telling about societally that they chose here is that in the end, the vampire is hunted down by an obsessive cop. Yes. In the Norwegian version, or some. All right. So another glitch. Sorry, you were talking about the obsessive cop. Yeah. The obsessive cop is the one who tracks the whole thing down and cracks the whole case and ends up being slaughtered in the bathroom. In the Swedish version, it is the friend of one of the victims. And I think it kind of points to the more active community, sense of community that you have in like these remote European places, uh-huh. as opposed to the United States, where the only person who should be kicking in doors, you know, to try and hunt down a killer is somebody with a badge. Right. And not that I'm encouraging people to go kick down your neighbor's door or anything <laughs> like that, but, you know, get engaged, find out what their name is so that if one of them happens to be a vampire, they'll think twice before they eat. Right. You. I mean, Community Watch takes on a whole new meaning. It does. Uh, and I did, I made a comment on my notes that they cut out the whole other people in the apartment complex. They, they weren't there at all, they were pretty much gone. Yeah. And I was like, eh, I don't know if I like that decision. I don't think it changed the overall story a lot. But it made a few of the choices they made seem worse. Uh, yeah. Uh, I I didn't hate this movie. And if I hadn't seen the first one, this would still actually be a vampire movie I wouldn't have minded. Uh, yes. Again, 80% of it is shot for shot the same. Even some of the same lines and everything with the Rubik's Cube. You know, unlike uh, Martyrs, where there were a couple places that got well, uh, he did change a few things, like hiding in the back seat of that car to capture the one boy. I'm like, who would do that? So to me, that stuck out as he's starting to get a little desperate. He knows he's losing his touch. He knows she's grooming this other boy. So in some ways, that scene actually I liked better in that regard. But it also pulled me out of it, going, who the hell is that stupid to cover themselves and hide in the back seat of this guy driving a car? It also struck me interesting that I did not at all buy Owen alone on a train with a giant crate. Yeah. That would never happen in the United States. No. Now, now if you're in Sweden, some kid with a big footlocker, okay, I get it. Because, you know, everyone uses the train there. Right. 
But in the U.S., shoot, just the fact that that box hadn't been, like, marked by Homeland Security and stuff like that. <laughs> Here's this 12-year-old on a train. Right. That would never happen. Agreed. And I was thinking, and it wasn't just because of this movie, but I was thinking of both of them. Like, the the choice of Owen Oscar was so perfect. because, And the, the androgynous vampire that's a girl we believe mm-hmm. but anyway um those choices would have been completely different if it had been an adult male uh vampire and oh yeah it's a- or you know he could not have done a good story otherwise and i i'm just thinking the original writer the choice of what he did was masterful yeah it, it would be a completely different story <laughs> if it was an adult vampire picking it, out kids to it would have been Lestat. I mean, yeah. that's what he did with Louie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the problem that I have doing this, and this is probably why I don't do this very often is that I'm constantly being influenced by the movie that I saw before. So again, in this movie, I didn't mind the movie. It was a decent movie, but if I compare it to the original, it just doesn't stand up. And then when I read, such things as, to be honest with you, the picture grossed $2 million as an excuse to do it, it just pisses me off. Right, which brings us to the to next movie. Silent House. The Silent House. It's a 2011 remake of La Casa Muda. Uh, they had a $12.8 million... Uh, that's how much they grossed. $12.8 million is what they grossed on a $2 million budget. If you compare it to La Casa Muda... They had a $6,000 budget and they grossed $1.1 million. When you watch the silent house, the opening shot probably cost them more than the entire budget of La Casa Muda. Probably. It was directed by Chris Cantus. Uh, really not much out there that Chris has done like four movies under his or her belt. I guess I, I didn't look that up, but a movie called Grind, a movie called Open Water, uh, Silent House, and then Laura Lau, none of which I have seen. The vast majority of their budget was spent right here. Uh, Elizabeth Olsen plays a character called Sarah. That's earlier in her career, even though she's part of the famous group. However, she was picked specifically for this job because of all of her experience on stage because they wanted it to be appear to be shot in a single take. There was a lot of manipulating and bending and stuff for cameras. And they thought that her stage, her her knowledge of stage presence would actually help a lot. So that's why she was actually picked for the film. She's been in a gazillion Marvel movies. She was in Godzilla. She was in a remake (laughs) Of old boy, the U.S. version, I, I can't, I can't even, I can't even bring myself to watch that. Just because the original is so good, that's just got to be awful. <laughs> she was also in a movie that I loved that I did not realize until I researched for this. She was in Martha Mary May Marlene, which, if you haven't seen it, is a great movie about trying to get out of a cult. Oh, okay. Um, it's a little tiny indie film. She's been in 26 total films of, of date. But this, The Silent House, was actually one of her earlier ones, as you pointed out. Now, since we spent all the money on her, the rest of these, the cast, um, you're not going to know. Okay. Uh, there's Adam Therese, who plays John. He's got 37 total movies on his credit. Most of them are television. Uh, Law and Orders, The Sopranos, NYPD Blue, blah, blah, blah. Uh, You also have Eric Schaefer-Stevens as Peter, 31 credits, mostly television, Law and Order, Numbers, As the World Turns, blah, blah, blah. Which is another good choice, get soap opera actors to be in these single-shot type things. That makes sense. Just because they're in soaps doesn't mean they can't act. Exactly. Exactly. And actually, I mean, uh, I don't like the format itself, the the soaps themselves, but you kind of do have to have some skill to be able to do that constantly day after day. Yeah. So, the amount of stuff they have to memorize. Yeah. Julia Chan plays Sophia. 
22 credits, mostly television, Shit's Creek, Bojack Horseman, yada yada. Um, so here's here's you know the all of the American stuff going on, right? There's not a hook in the first five minutes. The hook is actually the crazy camera angle because it starts above her and then pans from there down. And you can almost see where the guy takes it off the rig because the camera's crazy shaky. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I get the whole intimacy and urgency of a handheld camera, but that was a little over the top. Yeah, I mean, my very first comment is, huh, this feels very American compared to the first. (laughs) Well, and she's sitting out picturesquely on this rock over this beautiful lake wearing a skirt and leggings and nice shoes. Her makeup's all done. She's got to be beautiful because it's an American film. She is not dressed to be cleaning up a house. Unlike the girl in the Casamuda who shows up wearing like a flannel and jeans with a t-shirt on underneath it. Um, they don't even hint around the whole thing, which is crazy because it's not even part of this story. The scenes with her and her uncle when they're in the house and he's like tickling her is just creepy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that I, I, my comment compared to the first because we've seen it uh so we know what is really going on is like they made all the wrong choices trying to build up tension and foreshadow things and it just it, it's like a, the third grader helped rewrite the story too you know or or a new uh, the 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 freshman english 101 class okay here's your chance to practice you know <laughs> and it was just uh, clunky and I didn't care and it took too long to build up. The build up sucked. It was 20 minutes long and it wasn't a build up. It was just slow and boring. <laughs> yeah. It, which is crazy because this movie takes 20 minutes before anything happens. Yeah. As opposed to the original where within the first 10 minutes there's noises going on and she's like what's that? You know, yeah. Eyes are getting wide. She's starting to look scared. Uh there is a scene where uh, her dad is on the ground and she's fumbling around in his pockets and completely unnecessarily is saying the key, where's the key? We know what she's looking for. (laughs) She doesn't have to say it out loud. Right. Uh, The ending, I was sorely disappointed about the ending. Uh, because the, I should have turned my shirt around. All right. Sorry. So where were you? Uh, I was talking about the ending. All right. I really didn't like the ending because it's not the only sin of the uncle here is the sin of silence. He does not report how horrible and creepy his brother turns out to be. And then in this movie where you have this victim who, despite the, psyche shattering situation she finds herself in manages to take down two fully grown men who are like twice her size in the end the only reason she's successful is because her uncle interrupts her dad once again the man has to come in basically (laughs) and rescue her from you know the dastardly evil man which she's already defeated once yeah but I, I, I thought the whole explaining uh, what really happened and you realizing that she's a little crazy because of it and figuring out what's really been going on. I, I, it was so disjointed and hard to see where in this one, the other one, it's like, Oh, you could think of this and this and this and, and the buildup it had this one. It just, I I don't know. there, There wasn't, any of that really for me the 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 introduction of that other girl but it's really her psychic memory her memories and she's because she's starting to go crazy and what the girl says none of it was as powerful as the original right and one of the things that kind of drove me nuts was in the original you had three actors and this girl that was it and the little girl was the ghost of the child that she had to abort, you know, under pressure of her dad's friend in this one, there's the ghost of the little girl 
which represents her when the trauma's happening to her. And then there's this other ghost that she calls Sophia, which is basically just there to tell her what the story is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I wasn't crazy about it. There's some really cool stuff that did happen. Like during filming, um, Olsen, Elizabeth Olsen suffered from nightmares while they were filming this. Um, because it, really got into her head. Um, they, the guys who were in charge of sound loved the sound she was making when she was miked so much. They made the choice to like, get rid of all of the overdubbed sound that they would typically put in. And they just went with like a hot mic on her to the whole thing, which I thought was, you know, that's a pretty good, a pretty good decision on their part just based on the fact that, you know, her panting when she's running and stuff was so well-timed and she did such a good job of it. They didn't want to just let it go to waste. So note to future film producers, get these sound guys. They know what they're doing. (laughs) Yes. And, and, uh, um, her having nightmares. Well, I guess it's a good thing. She wasn't in martyrs. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good point. (laughs) (laughs) Even the remake. Uh, yeah. Well, just think, uh, you know, the original director, when he made him watch those other movies and gave him stuff to read in that, you know, if she had nightmares because of this remake, yeah. <laughs> doing that to sink into the role. Yeah. So Laura Lau rewrote this. Uh, well, she's the one who took on the project as like a producer. She watched the original and began to rewrite the script right away, refusing to watch it again and just relying on her memory so that. I don't know. Only the stuff that stood out to her is what she wrote down. Her screenplay was only 55 pages long. Oh, that's why you had the big, long opening sequence. We needed to add five minutes. We got to fill stuff in. The other thing that drives me nuts about this movie. And again, this movie's not bad. I've seen far worse. We talked about one that's far worse than this. I think this is not as good as let me in. Uh, but still it's not an awful movie. The thing that drives me nuts though, is how much they went on and on and on about how genius this film was. Oh, it's a minimalist film. It only has five actors and look, we've shot it to look like it's only shot on one single take and it's super experimental. And I'm just like, how experimental is it? Because some guy in Uruguay Already just did it. did it. Right. Yeah. You got to really be uh, a little self-centered to be saying how great and wonderful it is when it's a remake. Yeah. 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 It debuted at Sundance. Um, so apparently pretty much anything can debut at Sundance. <laughs> hey, we said it already. If we can get a couple thousand dollars, we could probably shoot a movie. I mean, it's, I tried to do it with our kids when they were younger. Yeah. I couldn't get all the zombies to stop laughing. That's right. If every one of you listening were to send us $600. We'd only well, have 1200 bucks. There you go. <laughs> and it'd be mine and yours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and our wives would kill us for spending the money. Yeah. On what? All right, so the last movie we're going to talk about is a spiritual successor. Uh, yes. It, it is called The Others. Yes. Um, and this movie, 110%, it's a fabulous film. Yes, I love this one, actually. And it would have actually been on a list for this podcast, except I was 110% sure you had already seen it. I had already seen it, plus I think a lot of other people did. I mean, it's a pretty... Right big name American movie. And, you know, I, I, I want to focus on stuff. People don't know. I, right. Everybody's probably done reviews of this. movie. Correct. Uh, so you know, if I could interject, so we, the, um, the uh, turn of the screw, there's yes. what we say, like 37 different productions throughout a the billion. Year. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot. And the one we discussed was the Netflix remake, Bly Manor, the eight or 10 episode TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, but, after discussing it a little bit, we weren't that pleased with it. Cause I never even finished it. Uh, I didn't think it was that, it, it, I don't know. They, they changed too much. It was too drawn out. I don't yeah. know. 
I had watched the entire thing, and on the one hand, I can kind of sympathize with them because they were given a novella and told to turn it into like a seven episode television show. Right. Um, but the bloat was just unforgivable. It, 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 the story got lost and made yes. it less interesting. There and are I a think million what, ghosts. Yeah. What they did was uh, I heard they took some of his other ghost stories and interwove some of that into it, which I thought was a genius idea. I just didn't think it, it came out well. So right. the suggestion was to do this other movie instead. Uh, Correct. The others. The others, uh, probably most well-known for the last film that Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise worked together on before they broke up. That's the only reason anyone knows this movie. Um, Besides, Cruise, it actually is a good movie. It, it's a phenomenal movie. Uh, Tom Cruise was an executive producer on it, i.e. he was hanging around because he was married to the star. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> you know, we always say this, but big spoilers on this one, because out of all these four that we're talking about – Anyone listening, go see this one. Go go grab it. Go oh, yeah. watch it. Stop the this podcast. This one's worth watching. Yeah, because we're probably going to give away every twist and spoiler here, which really is what makes the movie. Um, and it's not really turn of the screw. Uh, I describe it to myself as it's an, a reimagination inspired by turn of the screw. Yes. So. it's. Uh, I, I classify it under literary horror because yeah, okay. it, it, it feels more like a book than it does a movie. Um, as you're watching it. But when you get into this movie, it's far crazier than you think. Yeah. There's a lot of good stuff in it. I mean, the production notes on it. Oh, okay. That part of it. Yeah. This was written and directed by a man named Alejandro Amanabar. He is a very, well, I don't know. He's got 13 pieces on his CV. He's a Spanish director. Sounds like it. <laughs> uh, he did a Spanish movie called Tesis, which translates to thesis. It's basically a movie set in Spain about somebody who stumbles across a ring of snuff films, which I have seen. It's a pretty good movie. Um, this movie is actually a Spanish film. Hmm, really? It is the highest grossing Spanish film in box office history. Um, it, it had a $17 million budget, which makes it a pretty big budget horror film. Yeah. Uh, but it cashed in at $209.7 million. Wow. So, so it this, did. almost takes it out of the running for us to talk about it anyway. <laughs> right. The movie was Spanish written and directed. Um, most of the crew were Spanish. It was filmed in Kent in England uh, with an Australian star. Playing a British woman set in New Jersey with financing <laughs> coming from Italy and France. So it's a worldwide movie. It's an international success. This is this is the curse of globalism right here. <laughs> uh, it won 29 to 55 awards. Wow. Uh, it's, it's critically acclaimed by everybody. Uh, in, including a Goya award, which is uh, named after the painter, you know, the famous Spanish painter. And it is basically the same as the BAFTAs, the same as the Oscars, just in Spain. It was the first Goya award winning movie that has no Spanish in it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it stars Nicole Kidman. She's been in 90 movies. I really? mean, you want to talk about somebody God. who's crazy prolific. Uh, Dead Calm, Batman Forever, Moulin Rouge, Panic Room. Uh, she was in a movie called Dogville. And if you have the opportunity, sounds familiar. you should watch it. It is actually based on a play called Dogville. Okay. And they shoot it like it's a play, like oh. on a black stage. Okay. So that's, it's kind of cool. Um, she didn't want to do the movie. She had just finished Moulin Rouge and she thought it was going to be too dark. And while they were filming it, she had nightmares all during the filming. She should talk to Elizabeth Olsen. She should. The two of them should uh, talk. Christopher Eccleston is in it as well. I love Christopher Eccleston. 
he was in Othello, 28 Days Later, G.I. Joe, Rise of the Cobra, Thor, Dark World, King Lear, um, and a little show called Doctor Who. In fact, yeah. uh, when he comes out of the fog, I made the note says, oh, look, the doctor regenerated. Yes. Um, he's his part in the movie is very, very small. It's kind of a bit part, but still, I love him and he did a great job with it. So now I didn't know Nicole Kidman was in that many movies. That's pretty impressive. Actually. I mean, that's quite a few and I love this movie, but I would have said, uh, yeah, Nicole Kidman. Yeah. I don't think of her as this great actress but it's probably some prejudice on my part because she's the typical American Hollywood paparazzi and she was married to Tom Cruise. So, you know, I, and that kind of turns me away from people personally. It's a fault. I'm sorry. Except um, she's Australian. Well, but yeah, but you know, if she walks down Hollywood in America, she's going to get swarmed. Yes. Um, but she, I, I, I watched this years ago and watching it again, I'm like, wow, she's, really good in this part. I, I oh, mean, yeah. I'll, I'll change my thinking on her because you had, she did wonderful. You ran a real risk of having a Kelly Duvall moment in this movie from The Shining, right? right One right. of my favorite horror movies of all time, but she almost ruins it with her hysterics, Yeah, right? <laughs> but Nicole Kidman could have been like that at any point in time, and she wasn't. I mean... Even when she seemed to be losing it, like you were, you were with her. You're like, I get it. Um, Alakina Mann played Anne, uh, the little girl in the movie. She's only been in three movies total in her life. And when you consider when this came out, you know, she obviously just isn't really digging around much for roles. Uh, and James Bentley played Nicholas, her brother, and he only did four movies total. So, now the little girl, arguably, you could almost say she's the main uh, character of the story. Uh, I, I mean, I know it's kind of focused on Nicole Kidman's character, but the little girl is so pivotal with every scene and everything going on. It's almost a shared co-star thing. In, in yeah. my thoughts, yeah, um, it is a spiritual successor to the Inno- Innocence, but it was actually a remake of a 1956 television series called Armchair Theater. And this episode was called The Others. Okay. It actually was this specific episode of Armchair Theater was remade into a movie already from 1973 called Voices, which I don't know if I have seen that or not. But I think there's a Dean Koontz uh, book called Voices, I think. Oh. Maybe. Well, it's not up on my shelf here, but. Uh, Maybe he's got 3000. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I didn't want to go into this scene by scene. I didn't right, want right, to. Right. One of the problems that I have with, uh, modern society is that so much stuff has already been done. So, if you sit someone down, if I were to sit my 22-year-old down and watch uh, Sixth Sense with him, a third of the way through, he's going to say, Bruce Willis is the dead guy. Right. You know? Yeah. Because when that movie came out, that was groundbreaking, and nobody saw it coming. And because of that, it's been done so much. This movie's memes and yeah, yeah. this movie's the same way because we can sit there and watch it and be like, wow, this is astonishing. It's 20 years old now. It's been done several times again, nowhere near as well. However, so much so that if I sit down with my 17 year old and watch this part way through, she's going to be like, they're all dead, aren't they? And I'm going to be like, yeah. So it's a little sad for me that, yeah, that that the cynics are are going to see this and be like, oh yeah, I saw that coming a mile away. Well, you do now, but in two thousand one <laughs> when it came out, it would have blown your mind. Yeah. You know, and and, um, and the first time I saw it, I was watching it, and I, 
you, I, I mean, I think I knew and suspected there's something going on, but I don't know what it is yet. There's something else. It's great because you're following this family and there's ghosts in the house. The girl sees ghosts. And it's the typical, I, I hear somebody, they're talking, I hear the noises, it stops. Uh, you know, it's all the ghost tropes right there. Yeah. There's the piano. And then, you know, uh, so they they do all kinds of stuff in this movie that points to other stuff like the ghosts are are like in a white sheet kind of thing. And that harkens back to Dickens, right? <laughs> you know, with the white sheet and the chains, I mean, right. that's, that's not Marley coming to tell you you're going to have a bad night. I don't know what it is. <laughs> right. So they do that. And even the small stuff, like the name of uh, the groundskeeper is Mr. Tuttle. Now there's a movie that is, on the short list for another season of this called the changeling. Oh yeah. Have you seen it? Um, I know of it. I don't think I see Cause it. if you've seen it, that's, I got to take it off the list. No, no, no. That's the sixties movie, right? 1976. 70. I think. Okay. I think actually I, it's on my list and I found it. So I haven't watched yes. it. I'll make sure and avoid it. George C. Scott is in it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The um, wheelchair. Right. It's on the cover. That was the movie. I saw it as a kid, and that was the movie that made me hate antique wheelchairs. (laughs) Um, The name of George C. Scott's character, he's a groundskeeper, in that movie is Mr. Tuttle, which that little little stuff that they put in there just really makes a movie. Uh, There's at one point in time, they open up this book, and they're flipping through the book, and it's like, the girl's like, oh, people are asleep. And they're like, no, those are pictures of people after they died. Common, that was a common occurrence back in you know the 19th century, early 20th century, because photography was so expensive. For you to have a camera come out to your house to take a picture of you was something that was ridiculously expensive. And you'd do it when someone died, just as this is the only way you're ever going to actually be able to remember them. So you'd pay to have them come out. They'd keep them in these books. Right. One We've of been the- watching... Uh, Chapel Weight, based on Stephen King's Jerusalem, a lot, and that's yeah. been a thing in there too. They talk about one of the guys in the picture is actually Alejandro Amenabar, the director and writer of the movie. Which I thought yeah, that's kind of a cool. If you're going to put yourself in a movie and you really don't want to act, that's a great way to do it. Look, I'm a yeah. corpse. That's Someone what I took do. a picture of. Yeah, uh, he he would do stuff with the kids, um, like he would sit there just to keep the kids like nervous. He would just suddenly jam on scary music out of nowhere, just so they were like constantly looking for something so that the kids, when they're depicting these children who are like on edge would actually be on edge, which is funny to me. Cause what was the movie we were watching where they were like, not telling the kids things to like shelter them before they, it was innocence. Oh yeah. It was, it's the opposite of what they were doing in the innocence. Yeah. He also loves shadows and loved to play with shadows so much so that some of the scenes that are like candle lit were honestly just lit by candle. Oh, cool. He liked the flickering and the shadow dancing around. It's it, that kind of, uh, commitment to the process. It's just, it shows, you know what I mean? Absolutely. I, I I must say, knowing what's going on and watching it and listening to some of the lines being said, they're so masterful and cleverly done because everything you hear it and it hints to, oh my gosh, they're, they're talking about ghosts. They're talking about uh, things, you know, that are happening, etc. And then once you know what's really going on, that the meanings are totally different, and it's yes. Every other every scene has hints to what's really going on, uh, and that's what I love about it. That little mind play. There are very few movies that I would sit there and encourage you to sit down and watch back to back to back. Um, you know, this is one of them because as you're watching it, you're watching this ghost story unfold where the house is haunted by ghosts. And then you get to the end of it and realize, no, the house is haunted by the ghosts, not, and everyone else is actually alive. And then you go back and watch it again yeah. to like, 
draw in all of that stuff, all yeah. of the clues that you missed along the way. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely one worth watching twice. Yes, absolutely. Unlike most of the others we've talked about today. <laughs> That's true. Uh, you know, but I got to say, I'm glad that I watched the remake of Martyrs. So now I can say with confidence, it sucked. I, right. I don't. I don't have to sit there and like, kind of hedge around it. Well, I haven't seen it, but it's got all these bad reviews. No, I've seen it now, and it did suck. So, and yeah, that's worry. with authority with our professional opinion because we do have a podcast. We do have a podcast, so we obviously know what the hell we're talking about. That, absolutely, you couldn't have it without that. Yes, you couldn't just throw up something to record yourself at all. No, from your basement or wherever you happen to be. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I'll show you my certificate sometime. Yeah, okay. I think I got it out of the last box of Count Chocula. Well, horror related, so obviously it must be uh, good. Right. Well, actually, now, did you see they have the uh, monster mashup cereal? It's 50 years of the monster cereals, and they put them all in one box. Ooh. Yeah, that's like exactly Blueberry and yeah. Chocula. And... But, but it's just the colors. They really it sounds do. cool, but I don't know that I want to eat it. At 50, no. At 10, maybe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, all right. Well, there's our bonus episode. Awesome. And And we've we've already got our theme and our movies picked out for the second season. So, yeah. We'll uh, have to do an intro. We'll get all this season up and we'll do an intro for that one so we can get started on it. Um, Cool. And just a little clue it's uh, visitors. Yes. Not much of a clue. He just told you. Yeah, figure it out. That's right. <laughs> well, it's a, it's for the American audience. You have to tell them. Not That's out. right. <laughs> You're gonna smack them in the face with it. 